Let's get started on, um, yeah, diving into the Word again this morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Romans. We are continuing in chapter 8, this five-week series uh, in this amazing chapter in the book of Romans. I hope you are beginning to see, well, um, all of God's Word is amazing. All of God's Word is rich and deep. All of God's Word is profitable. This chapter is remarkable. I said in the first week that I wanted to encourage you to maybe, maybe consider memorizing this chapter. And so I said to you, you know, like, I'll try to do that too. So let's see what happens next Sunday, okay? I want to see how many of you would like to come up here and do the memorization of chapter 8 before I do. Okay? There's a little bit of a challenge. Let's begin reading this morning our 10 verses for today, uh, verse 18 to verse 28. And then I'm going to pray one more time and we are going to dive in. Uh, to this series, Life and Liberty in the Spirit. Read with me. Paul writing, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to to his purpose. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, yeah, Holy Spirit, um, you know our weaknesses. You know that even in this moment, uh, in, in my weakness, literally, and in our weakness, sometimes even to, even to be here, uh, to make the effort, and, and to, to be able to listen and hear, um, Spirit, I pray that you would do a work. I pray that you would speak through the the words that you've given to me. Change them right now if necessary. These are your words that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write about his life and about what you were doing in his life so that we today would be able to reflect on it and see how it is about you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and about the lives that you've given to us and how then we should live them. So I pray for a real anointing over your word today. This is a beautiful, wonderful passage. I pray that you would teach us much from it. 
And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So as you know, sometimes each week I, I have a sermon title at least for you. And then there are weeks where I tell you, like, I, that's it. I got a sermon title and, and not three points because, like, it just doesn't seem to, I don't know, it doesn't come. This week it did. Uh, and I, I'm kind of surprised. I actually think it's, it's wonderful. The sermon title for today is Growing, Groans, and Glory. And I think we're going to see three things today. Number one, the growing. It's about the growing. Number two, the groans. And there are three of them. And finally, the glory. So during the series, I believe one of the key goals, I think the key goal really, has, to be, has been to answer a question. And it is, it is this question. If the Christian life is the life that God has called us to live that is the best life, or supposed to be the best life, and listen, the fact that God went to the kind of trouble that he went to from the beginning in Genesis to through the Old Testament to the days where he sent Jesus into this world and then the Holy Spirit, all the trouble that he went to to give us this life, it's got to be the best life when you think about the trouble he went to, to give this life to you and to me. And so the question that needs to be answered through this series is, why why doesn't it seem that way all the time? Why is it such a struggle? Why is there suffering and pain? So why, like the Apostle Paul, do we constantly, as we've seen, struggle to do the good that we know we should be doing and instead do the bad that we know that we should not be doing? Why do we have the desire but not the ability? So we've been learning these things through this series. And so far, uh, we've learned that the struggle which is real, the struggle is really pretty simple. It's a battle. It's a battle between the old sinful nature, you know, this lovely biblical King James word, the flesh, and our new life in Christ this new creation that we have been saved to be. And I hope you've seen through the last few weeks that, that that's clearly what it is, and, and it's, it's part of the life that we have now, and it's part of the struggle, and it's good. That's what I hope you'll see today, because that's how we grow in our faith and walk with Jesus Christ. So the choice then for us every day is whether or not we are going to walk according to the flesh. You get up in the morning, it's like, okay, what am I going to do today? And you start to think about all of the things that are ahead of you, all of the trials and tribulations and the work and the, the conflicts that are probably going to happen in this day, and what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Are we going to fall back in trying to organize our day and solve our day by the ways we've done them in the past that really have not been working out that well for ourselves and everyone else? The old way? Or are we going to open the word? And say, Spirit, come on. I I have the desire, but I don't have the ability, but you do. Show me. Help me to live according to your calling on my life, Spirit, and give me the power that you have to do that. So, so far in Romans 7 and 8, I think we've learned that on top of all that, some of the good things we've learned, even in that, Paul has provided us with constant encouragement, right? I mean, in the last couple of weeks, we've, we've seen these amazing things about how from a, a positional perspective in Christ, we are already fully righteous. We are already perfected positionally. And yet our practice struggles. But, but again, what the encouragement he wanted to see was, is, listen, God knows 
God knows we fall down. God knows we slip up. God knows we sin because of the old sinful nature. But he doesn't reject us because of that. Never will again. We're his children. He does not get angry with you or with me. He will not punish us. He will discipline us. He will allow and put certain things into our lives to grow us and transform us, but he fully, unconditionally, and perfectly loves us. And so that, that encouragement Paul wants us to have, why? Well, be, well because if, if, we, if we accept that and really hold on to that every day, not only will we never doubt that, but then putting that off and living in that will be so much easier. <laughs> That's the point. That's what he wanted us to see. I believe. So all of this has, I believe, been laid out so far. It's been building to the point where we arrive at a text today, and next week, but today especially, we arrive at a text that is pivotal. It's an amazing point, and, and it, it, I hope will show you something in a very profound way about what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us about this present time, this point in our lives from our salvation in Christ, the moment where we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, and we go to glory and be with him, and be really perfect, made perfect, and fully righteous. And so Paul certainly understood these things at that point in his life. He certainly did, which is why he subjected himself to some of the things we're going to talk about today in the life and walk that he had. And so as we approach today, I want to go back to two of the verses uh, from last week just to, to lead us into today's verse. Um, so that we have the context firmly set in our minds. And this is number one point for you today called the growing. Verses 16 and 17, which will be on screen for you, Paul wrote, The Spirit himself, as we saw last week, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It, it, it's the first way in which you and I, when we, when we place our faith in Christ, it's like that light bulb. There's this, there's this sense where it's like that aha moment. <sighs> I am saved. I believe this. He's come into my heart and, and I'm changed. And I encouraged you a couple of weeks ago, remember that day? <laughs> remember those experiences because there's going to be days many years later where you're going to go, hold on. <laughs> Am I really? You know, I remember the first time that happened to me. I was seven years into my, it probably happened a few times. should have probably happened a few times before. But after being really holy and righteous for about like nine months, you know, things started to slip and slide. But I remember like seven years later, all of a sudden, I don't know whether it was a sermon or something I read, and all of a sudden I'm going, am I saved? Really? I learned later through a, a man who was mentoring me, that's actually a pretty good sign right there that you probably are. <laughs> People who aren't, don't worry about those kind of things. But then it was about remember. Do you remember? Do you remember those days? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided. Look at these words. We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So there it is again, this great encouragement that we can know we are sons and daughters of God. We are his children. Literally his children. We're not like the neighbor's children who we can, we, can, we can like them. You know, like we can think they're really lovely most of the time compared to our children, <laughs> our kids. Our kids are special. Okay? They really are. 
And in his eyes, we are so special. And so we are heirs with Christ because the Spirit, look again, bears witness with our spirit. He confirms in our hearts that this is all true. But then again, look at Paul's words. It is provided. Provided we suffer with Christ in order that we may also, look, be glorified with him. And so, I, like I've said from the beginning um, of this series, Jesus never promised us a rose garden, right? He never promised us a life of comfort and ease. He often said, I have come to give you life more abundantly, but he also said, if I suffered in the ways that I've suffered, you are too. If I was persecuted, you will be too, if you're my disciples. So these are the provisos. And so the point, the key of all this is when we hear this, look, at it's, it's in order that we will be glorified. Okay, that's really important because that, that, those words are in the future tense. So, so the, the, the reality of today is, the truth of today is we are being something, right? And so those of us who've been around the rock for a number of years and we've, you know, studied our foundations or theology 101, we, we actually know, and I, I'm not teaching you like you're a baby here or anything, but for some of you, this might be new. Um, the idea is, is that there's actually three, quote, phases to our salvation. The first phase is you're saved. It's called justification, theologically speaking, is the word that's been given to it. Why? Because you're being justified. How? But you're being saved from, listen, the penalty of sin because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place for your salvation. So you're saved from that. But then, and, and sometimes I think I learned early on, okay, that's it. You know, you pray a prayer, you know, and, and you start going to church and, and you're good. You know, you got, as I like to say, fire insurance, right? You're going to go to heaven when you die with Jesus. And so you're saved. And then the kind of the idea is good luck. <laughs> you know, take it from there and you've got that and that's all there is to it. Well, well, no. Acts 2.47 says that Jesus added to the church those daily who were being saved. And so there is something else going on here, and it's the second phase, which is called sanctification, where we are in this day still via the gospel and by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives being saved from the power of sin over us in this world today. The enemy has been defeated fully, but he still wants to cause you to rely on your old sinful nature and your flesh rather than live for Christ and live in this new life. And so that's our sanctification period. And then finally, listen, that's the future part, which is called glorification. One day we will enter into that state where we are in glorification, which means we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Every time I say that to you, I think about it as I've been thinking about this week. Can you imagine Honestly, and it's part of our text for today. It's this thing about groanings we're going to get into. One day we will be in a place where none of the things that cause us to groan in a proper way today will be there. They'll be gone. And we will be glorified and saved from that very presence. So look at these, uh, verse 17b one more time, because this is the important part before we move through in the growing. And it is provided again, I leaned on this before, but provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be, future tense, glorified. So again, all that Paul has been saying to this point in time about our adoption as children of God and heirs with Christ are, listen, provided 
we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. And so there's this whole idea of persevere, kids. It's about perseverance. We must persevere till the end. So if the point at which we will be glorified then is future, which it is, when is it that we suffer with Christ, do you think? (laughs) When is it that we suffer with Christ? Well, it's right there in our text. In this present time is when we suffer with Christ. In this life, then this is our sanctification, which is being worked out in our lives via the very trials, the struggles with our flesh, the sufferings with which we endure. But here's the problem. I don't know about you, but I can put my hand up for this one and confess it. We don't like suffering. We don't like when it's minus 15 and there's seven feet of snow. Okay, I don't know if it got that high where you are, but come on, we we don't like it. In, In fact, most of our culture, most of our society is set up to help us avoid it, right? The first thing that happens when those kind of things come into our lives is that, well, that's a mistake. Like, that shouldn't be happening to me. I deserve better than that. And so we, we go into avoidance and, and we try to control it and, and we, we look for reasons to excuse it, whatever it might be, but we don't like it at all. And so having said that, what do we do with it? Well, I want to encourage you that it's possible, and we need to think about this today, that this is God's will. That these trials, these sufferings, these struggles are intentional. They're actually part of the process. They're necessary to be sanctified and then one day glorified. So to help us better understand what this all means, let's just look at that verse again and ask ourselves this. Paul, what sufferings are you experiencing that you do not believe are worth comparing to the future glory? I mean, what, what would those be, Paul? What are you experiencing? I mean, I mean, really, Paul, let me ask you a question. Did you live through a pandemic? <laughs> like, Paul, did, did, you, did you have to suffer like that for two years wearing masks? Hey, Paul, have you had the kind of problems I've had in my marriage? I haven't, by the way. She's awesome. But think about it. Have you had to endure the the sufferings physically that I've had to endure, like the relationship issues, the, the, the career situations, the, you know, all of the struggles, my kids. Paul, really? Did you have to go through those things? You, you're saying those don't compare with the future glory? Is that what you're saying? Well, of course, listen, I know. That's silly, right? You would not ask the Apostle Paul those questions that way, would you? Would you? It's astounding, actually, when you think about Paul himself saying these words. It's astounding that the Apostle Paul could say these words. Do you know much about his story? I know many of you do. The man was shipwrecked at sea and nearly drowned with those on board with him at least twice. Now, you think about it like BC ferries. It's like, no, these were not ships like that. And, And these were really legitimately bad storms, and he nearly lost his life. Why? What was he doing? On a cruise? No, he was planting churches for the sake of the kingdom of God. So he went through those kind of things. He was stoned and whipped at least three times in the scripture we know of to within an inch of his life. The point of the whippings was to kill him, but he survived. He was robbed and beaten often. Many people in the church treated him terribly from time to time. Many people said that his preaching wasn't that great. 
They preached too long. Paulus was way better. A historian by the name of Eusebius claims, or a Roman historian, that upon his last imprisonment, home um, imprisonment in Rome, under Nero's orders, he was beheaded. And just weeks before that, he called the elders out from Ephesus, and he told them, he goes, I, I probably won't see you again, because he knew it was coming. So at this point in Romans, Paul and the Holy Spirit are urging, I believe, you and I, to understand that it is the struggles, it is the sufferings, and the various trials in your life that are God's will and purpose for your life and are meant to lead to your sanctification. It's all at these times, pardon me, in our Christian life when we are most prone to go, no, no, I don't want that. And then go rely on the old sinful nature, the, the old ways of dealing with these problems rather than leaning into it. I want to make a really important point at this point. It isn't because of the fact that you've sinned or done something wrong that God does these things and therefore he's punishing you. It's not that. He may be disciplining you because of that, but it's life, guys. It's life. And if you're on mission with Jesus in this world, it's one of the costs. Those things are going to come into our lives. So maybe, just maybe, like Job, there's a really fun book, right? Like Job, God wants to use these times to show you something about, listen, your own sinful heart. Again, not because you sinned, are you getting this in your life? But because while you're in these situations, your, your old nature, your own sinful heart is going to be exposed. I got to tell you, confession, these last two years have been awful. <laughs> but on the other hand, I don't, I don't know. The moment uh, in our devotions where my godly wife has said, honey, I think God is allowing this to happen to grow you and to grow me and to grow men and women in our church. And I sit there and I think that maybe she should stop talking that way. And then I recognize that's absolutely true. It's so absolutely true, what God has been showing me about my own heart. And I think we should also see this. It is so that we will be, pre be prepared, pardon me, prepared properly for glory. It's leading us in that direction that we will see that. So more on glory a little bit later, but a couple of thoughts for you. For you. I, I want to leave with you to think about before we move on to the groans. A few years ago, John Piper, Pastor John Piper, uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I was told it was very treatable, but he, he told people about it. He uh, blogged about it. He asked for prayer about it. And, and, and the Lord put on his heart, the Holy Spirit put on his heart uh, a book, an idea for a book. And he basically finished the manuscript for that book, I understand anyway, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm absolutely correct, on the night before he went for surgery. And he titled the book, Don't Waste Your Cancer. Now listen, I, I know people in our church body have uh, had loved ones who struggled with cancer. I know people in our, our church family today struggle with cancer. And I know people who've probably got the same heart that, that he has, and they're living that out. Not waste. In other words, what? Showing the glory of God's will in your life. Recognizing him. 
and not wasting it as, as, as an opportunity to groan inwardly about your own life and your own situation, but to show him glory and honor in it and allow him to strengthen you and grow you through it. That's an extreme example maybe in one way, but what a book. The, the cover of the book says, uh, John Piper gently but firmly acknowledges that we can indeed waste our cancer when we don't see how it's God's good plan for us and a hope-filled path for making much of Jesus and being conformed to his image even through that. That's awesome. That's tough. But it's awesome. G.K. Chesterton is a... He's, he's one of these dead theologians who you love to quote because he's, he's also a humorist. He's funny. Uh, he has an interesting way of looking at things, and he once said this. It's not that the Christian life has been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And I, I'll tweak the last couple of words. Left fully untried because we give up in the struggles, and we shouldn't. It's how God grows us. That's the growing. Number two, the groans. Groan number one in verses 19 to 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wow. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Since when? Since the fall. Until now in Paul's day and until now in our day. So what we're learning here is, and I I hope you'll see it this way, we're not alone in our groanings. That's what Paul wants to show us and what the Holy Spirit wants to show us. We're not alone in our groanings. Now, we also need to understand that this idea of groanings here is not complaining, okay? It's not the human version of that where we just complain. You know, we, how are you doing today? No, not so great. You never know, yeah, this happened and that happened. And, oh, by the way, it's 23 months now. That's complaining. This is a very different idea, this idea of groaning in the Scripture. They're not you and I getting so tired of the pandemic or whatever other way in which we feel our life is just not great. It's something deeper than that. So beginning with creation, the Spirit wants us to understand that all of God's good work of creation has been subjected to and the result of our sin. Adam and Eve, sure, you can put it on them if you want, but we are in Adam and Eve. We would have done the exact same thing. We continue to do the exact same thing. And that is what subjected creation to the ravages of sin and brokenness. Because it wasn't supposed to be that way. Everything that God created day one through day seven was good. And you know what that means? It was perfect. There was no groaning whatsoever. Because there was no death. So you read the Genesis account, as I said, and you will see that everything God created was good. It was perfect. There was no death, no corruption, no decay. And then, of course, there's the fall in Genesis 3. And sin entered the world, and brokenness entered the world. And then, in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, God curses the ground. He curses the very creation. What was, up until that point in time, fully productive and healthy, 
is now turned even against itself through what we see today, floods and hurricanes and droughts and tornadoes, blights, avalanches, earthquakes. These things were not to be in the original creation, where creation itself is working against itself. And then, of course, there's the ways in which we abuse the planet and, and the animals, ourselves. And so we see the creation here waiting, look at those words, with eager longing. Those words in the original language suggest something like a craning of the neck, right? Uh, Or as one commentator wrote, he wrote these words in describing these words. He said, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the Son of God's coming into their own. This is the picture the Holy Spirit wants us to see is that that the creation out there, that this, this beautiful world that God has given to us, which is broken because of these things, is groaning for that day too. It's an amazing, beautiful picture. The creation then is groaning for the day when the reality of the sons of God, the revealing happens, which is when Christ comes again and things will triumphantly be made new again. The creation cannot wait for that day. That's an amazing picture. So lastly, we see the groaning of all creation compared to childbirth. And and I'm sure, as uh, many of you women can attest, who are in our church body, who are going forth and multiplying, which is awesome, to see that on a regular basis, I'm sure there's a point during your pregnancy of nine months where you're like, okay, it's time to get this done. (laughs) I'm willing to go through the pain of the childbirth because... This child needs to be born. That's where our creation is at. It cannot wait, listen, for the day of glory. That's what our God wants us to see about the groaning of creation. Groaning number two is next in verses 23 to 25. Paul writes, and not only the creation, of course, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit tasted the first sip of that feast of wine, we groan inwardly as we also wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope what we, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So now to further encourage us as we live the life of being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ that has its own challenging levels of pain from time to time, we are encouraged that it is natural and frankly healthy to groan inwardly. To like those ver- ver- words in the, 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 the song that I quoted last week. Now, my mind might not bring them back, but turn your eyes upon Jesus, where, where the, the things of this world are growing faintly dim, right? Because you've, you've been placing for a period of your time in your life so much hope in this that, you know, you're, you're going to be able to have, you know, your, your life in this world today be all of it that it's supposed to be. And yet, it continues to let us down. And so there's a healthy form of this inward groaning, not a dissatisfaction with today, not a dissatisfaction with the struggles and, and, and the, the, the sufferings that we have to go to through, or even what's happening to our planet. That's not good. We should still enjoy these things. But there's this groaning for, you know, no, no, wait a second. 
I've had, I have a taste of what, and, and an image, a vision of what this is supposed to end up being. I can't wait. We need to have that, that inward sense for the day when our adoption is fully realized. Again, last week I was talking about with some people about, yeah, I understand the idea of wanting to go home with mom and dad for Christmas, like your, your blood family for Christmas. You know, there is your blood-bought family, by the way. We just, we've always highlighted that here at the Rock Church. There's, of course, there's that desire. Sometimes it can feel like an obligation or whatever, but it, no, there's a desire to want to be with kindred spirits, your family. Same thing here. But one day we, we, want, we want to be with our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and with our blood-bought family, perfected and in glory forever. That's something we groan for and we eagerly await. And so really that is the hope that we have. That is the key to that, having that hope, because it is, is this. We need to wait for that with patience. <laughs> 23 months was one of the main things that God's been working on my heart, is to have patience through all these things. So we groan, but we do not complain, is the idea. It's good. It's good to have this inner groaning for, Lord, yes, finish your work in me. Prepare me for glory. Prepare us for glory. But finish your work, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's a beautiful picture. Another quote that I want to give to you is from C.S. Lewis, of course. He's another dead author and historian who's awesome to quote, but I love this. It's, it's famous. You've heard it before. He says this, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, and by the way, nothing in this world can, he then says the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Groan number three. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Ever felt that? <laughs> for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So yeah, the creation groans. Yeah, we groan. And the Holy Spirit of God groans. I love this. I mean, since we started this series, we've seen that this life is a constant battle. Over and over, I've been repeating this. Between living according to the flesh or living according to the Spirit. The very Spirit of the living God that, that was given to you and came to reside in you and lives in you on the day that you received and believed in Jesus Christ groans for you. He groans for you and I, especially at the point where we feel so weak. And so obviously, I think we need to see it this way. There are times where we enter into struggles and sufferings that are very deep. You know, that can be the loss of a parent. That can be the loss of a spouse. That can be the loss of a relationship. That can be so many, that can be a diagnosis. That can be so many things. And you're just in a place where you, you know you need to pray. You, you know you need to pray, and there, there are no words. 
And it's not because, well, it's not because you're angry at God. You may be disillusioned, but there's just no words. And we're being told here that even when we're so deeply hurt that we can know and trust this is true, the Holy Spirit of God who is in us, listen, and he should also be bearing witness to us that this is happening for us, intercedes. The word literally means takes the place of. And so in the relationship, in the prayer life between you and your heavenly father, at the point where you, you just don't know how to go daddy, father, Abba, father, the Holy Spirit is interceding with, with your, with, for you on your behalf with your heavenly father in ways that are too deep for us to understand today. One day we'll understand that. But the beauty of it is that he is, he is praying for us perfectly according to, look at this, the will of God. And that's the way that you and I should be praying every day anyway. You know, when, 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 a, when a struggle, when a suffering, when a trial comes into our lives, you know, most of us should be praying, Lord, is this your will? And, and, and if, you know, don't, most of us don't want to hear the answer, yes, Glenn, <laughs> it is. But we should receive that answer. And so that's the end to which the Holy Spirit is praying for us when we cannot pray, and he's praying deeply and groaning deeply for us in that way. So that's, that's a little bit of a hint of how when we are able to pray, we should pray in that way. Number three, the glory. Verse 28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is one pretty good example. I, can't, I read this, some commentator said this. It was one really good example where our Bibles, you know, they have like chapter breaks and then, and then section breaks. This is a good example of where the break isn't right. Because if you're reading in your Bible, it, like it keeps going a few verses, right? And it doesn't stop here. But I'm suggesting today it should stop here. And here's the reason why it should stop here. Is this not a bumper sticker verse? Anybody? Have you ever quoted this? It's a little like, I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans for you to prosper you. Jeremiah 29, 11, taken fully out of context, right? But this is one of those verses too. And it's a good verse. It's wonderful for that. It's very encouraging, that we should look at it and say, yeah, like, you know, like print it out, put it on a plaque, frame it, put it on the wall. And when you're in the midst of struggles, you know, and I know the, that, and we know that for those who love God, all, of course I love God, all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Context is so important, right? All of the context to this point, to this verse, has been what? It's future. It's in the future tense. So listen, this verse does not mean, at, as it is commonly thought, that everything will work out okay in this life for you now if you just pray, pray rightly. That, that's not what this verse is saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't use it and pray it, hopefully for that purpose. Dear Lord, yes. End the pandemic. Yes, please. No, this means rather that everything ultimately will work out for our good, for the saints in Christ. That's what this verse is actually saying to us. These words have our eternal rather than our current good in mind. 
So it's meant, yes, to encourage us today, but in the hope and trust that God, his good purposes and will for our lives will work out to the point where we will be fully sanctified and glorified. These things are in his hands. And so that's what that wonderful verse is suggesting to us. So finally then, in conclusion today, let's look at the glory that Paul was saying was so incomparable. Right? Like he had a picture of this glory of the day that he would be beheaded and be with Christ and that he's saying for you and for me here today is what we need to look forward to. And he's saying, listen, it doesn't matter what happens. This pandemic could go on for 15 years. I'm sorry I said that. It doesn't matter. It's incomparable to the glory that is before us. So he believed that. And he believed that the struggles in his day and the sufferings in his day just didn't compare. So our Bibles tell us exactly how things are going to end. You should know this. Those of you who've read to the end, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the last chapter, pardon me, second last chapter, Revelation 21 tells us that there will be a whole new earth and a whole new heaven, a whole new cosmos. So at the end of the day, everything will be transformed and glorified. Everything will be perfected and made new again. And and listen, none of us really, really have a clue of how amazing that's going to be yet. Has anyone traveled to Mars? Any of you been to Mars? How 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 about to one of the other galaxies? I mean, can you imagine just being able to fly there today and just seeing what that's amazing? Like that, that would probably make you go, wow, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty glorified. This is beyond that. It's beyond that. In Philippians, we read that we're going to get, and I love this, new glorified bodies. Anybody? Some of you are just way too young. <laughs> I'm at that point. And this is beautiful because in, in this, these verses in Philippians 3, we also see where C.S. Lewis got his idea about our citizenship, where Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, look, will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so, yeah, look, like your future, my future, it's going to be glorious. But there are three things about that future glory that are incomparable to all of those other wonderful things that you might be thinking about what heaven's going to be like. And the number one thing is this, and I hope you believe this and trust this today. The most glory-oriented thing that's incomparable today is you personally will be with Jesus. He's the prize. Not your best life. You'll be with him. We all will be with him Secondly, you will be made like him. You'll never be a God or God like he is, but you will be made like him. Fully. You can trust that. Another is that you and I will feast with him. Scripture teaches us we're, we're going to feast. <laughs> we had a great dinner last night with some friends in our church body last night. It was great. It was a feast. Janice was like, like over the top. Amen? Who was there last night? It was incredible. Uh, And we had a great time. We will feast with Jesus. 
all the time and with each other. Okay, some of you are really happy about the Jesus part, but no, with, with each other. And that's part of the glory that we can look forward to. But there's two more. Those are the most important ones, I think. We too shall have glory. That's for a further study sometime, but we too will have glory. And here's another one that's pretty amazing. I like this one. We too one day will be given some important role in eternity, including having a responsibility over a certain part of the universe that will be ours. You know, I already have in my mind dibs on a place that's a lot like some place on earth right now, which is called, no, I'm not going to tell you what it is because you might start praying for that place too. That's what the scripture teaches. That's what glory is going to be like. And Paul says, come on. This present time? Hey, stick with it. So friends, I hope in conclusion we can see this. Our God is really, really, really good. Amen? Amen. Let's trust him with all our hearts. And let's lean in together as a church and as the body of Christ and help each other finish well. Pray with me, would you?